0: Hi everyone, welcome to the MSX Podcast, a show about a broad range of topics in medicine, ranging from education to exploring research and contemplating future directions for the field. In each episode, we speak with leaders in the field to learn from their insight and expertise.
1: Today we're excited to welcome Kevin. He's a founder and CEO of ACLID. We're really excited to talk about this company, its mission, and the future of this industry in general. Kevin, maybe we can jump into uh, your origin story and how you found yourself in the founder seat at Ackwood.
2: Thanks, Samar. Yeah, excited to be here and excited to dive into it. So I'm a software engineer by training, have been in the tech industry for a little while, was previously at a company called Umbrella in the home services space, was the engineering lead there, the first engineering hire, helped build all the tech, grow the team. We, we got acquired in November of 2020. And I moved into a product role for about six months and then transitioned to starting a company of my own, realizing I really wanted to be in an early stage startup and was super excited to get back into the weeds and work in something totally new. And so started to work on biotech, was really excited by the advances in synthetic biology and where things were going, felt like this could be a really big field And software had unique value, so it felt like a great intersection for me personally to work on something totally new, learn a lot, and also get the ability to still contribute and still feel valuable without having to be really deep in the biology. So just focusing on the software itself, understanding the domain a little bit, but not needing to be an expert. I've never been in a wet lab. I've never gotten a PhD in biology. My knowledge of biology goes to maybe high school. So it, it, it was great to be able to enter the field really with no context, learn a bunch about it, and then build something interesting and cool and valuable. Started working with a professor out of Columbia University. He's a professor of systems biology. His name is Harris Wong. He's done a lot of work in security, has done a lot of work with microbiome engineering and in gene synthesis. And together, we, we started a company using some of his ideas, some of his network and credibility, and some of my operational expertise working across software and product. We are focused on security for DNA and RNA synthesis. There are companies that now can synthesize chemically strands of DNA that can go into organisms to modify their function. If you've heard of names like Impossible Foods or uh, companies like Solugen, they are modifying organisms to make ingredients or to make chemicals that are more sustainable or cheaper than alternatives. Impossible Foods has figured out how to manufacture heme, which is a protein normally found in abundance in meat and is ascribed to giving some of meat its flavor. They figured out how to produce that in yeast. They modify yeast using DNA. They then upscale the manufacturing process, making sure it can produce it at large quantities. And now they have an abundant source of yeast that has no animal products in it. And and that's a pretty big change for how we look at plant based meats. And now there's lots of companies doing the same things for dairy. There's companies doing the same things for harsh chemicals, for materials. And so we work with the manufacturers that are supplying and fueling the research, the manufacturers that are building the DNA, the building blocks that are used to make these products. And we work with them to make sure that the DNA they're providing is safe from any type of misuse and has no national security concerns for nefarious actors. On the surface, DNA sequences look like any other piece of code. If you think back to your high school biology, it's the ATCGs of, of DNA that make up the building blocks, and our customers are really just receiving that information. It's a long string, maybe a 1,000 letters, 2,000 letters of different variations of the building blocks ATCG. And so we help them to identify that substance, make sure it's safe from any type of pathogenic or toxic concern and then verify the customer, make sure the customer has the right credentials, licenses, registrations to supply, and then actually use the product they're trying to purchase. You
1: mentioned make sure DNA is safe for misuse. What does misuse look like? And can you give some examples around that?
2: There, There's two buckets that it fits into. There's what people call error or accidental misuse. And then there's the nefarious where somebody's trying to make something that can harm someone. So I'll I'll go about about both in the bucket for accidental or error. That's typically you're manufacturing thousands of variations to try to find the one that works. And one of those variations might have a link to a pathogen or some kind of toxin. So as an example, maybe you'll, you're making a therapeutic or a vaccine and you're going to make a thousand variations of your therapeutic sequence with slight modifications. And occasionally those slight modifications might actually get really close to the pathogenic substance, especially if you're making a vaccine or a therapeutic, you may need similar genes or homologs, structures that are similar to the actual antigen, the thing that's causing disease. And so as you start modifying these sequence to find the best therapeutic effect with the least amount of homogeneity, or in other words, the least amount of adverse response from, from a patient, you might be mutating something to a point where it actually starts to match up to a potential pathogenic version of your substance. And if you're making a therapeutic, you're typically not intending for that to happen. But given that you're combinatorially trying a lot of different things, you might have something come up. And so we, we help identify that and make sure that researchers know what they're ordering there's no mistakes being made throughout the process and, and they know what they're about to be inserting or potentially testing. On the other side, there's potentially nefarious actors that may be trying to, to cause harm. DNA looks the same when it, whether it comes from a human or a virus or a dangerous bacteria or a fungi. And there could be actors that are interested in, causing plant crops to die or causing harm to livestock or even harming a person. And DNA gives them easy access to that. If before for you to get ricin, you would need to have a giant field of the castor bean plant and then have to extract it and go through this entire process, DNA gives you a much faster route to that. With some high level training and with the right expertise and knowledge, you can get access to the DNA that makes up ricin, and then do this all in a Petri dish and then upscale it to get enough ricin to actually cause harm. So those are the two buckets where we, we fit misuse.
0: We're kind of wondering since the inception of the company to now, has the scope of ACLID changed in any ways that you've seen?
2: It definitely has. We, we started out focusing more on identifying the DNA substance and giving our customers as much information about what the customer is ordering. And we've now expanded to looking at things like, who is the customer? So not just doing the order monitoring, but also doing the anonymous to financial regulations, KYC, know your customer, or KYB, know your business. And so we realize that our customers struggle with both, and that both are so highly intertwined. As an example, you might be ordering a COVID sequence because you're making a diagnostic or a therapeutic and you're working at the National Institutes of Health. That's a very different use case than somebody working out of their garage trying to order a monkeypox sequence claiming that they're trying to make a therapeutic. So those two start to play hand in hand and having both pieces of information, the customer itself and the order, make up the full risk profile that a manufacturer has to address as part of the their business.
1: So I can imagine the customer base for Acclid is expanding rapidly. And can you talk a little bit about some of the industry trends that are increasing that customer base?
2: Yeah, there, there are definitely a couple of factors here. So one is the immediate regulations and policy changes that expand what products are covered and also give more of an incentive for companies to do something about this. On the regulatory side, there were a couple of bills in Congress that were introduced earlier this year. They're still within the Health Committee of Congress, and they haven't been voted on yet. And then there are also guidelines from the Department of Health and Human Services recommending and encouraging companies to follow best practices around this space. And then finally, as of last month, there was an EO from the Biden Harris administration for safe AI. And while AI is not directly related to this space, there are some vulnerabilities that AI exposes, especially around giving people access to biology in a much easier way than in the past. There there have been studies done with students at MIT where they use ChatGPT to try to manufacture a bioweapon, for example, and they were able to bypass a lot of the safeguards that ChatGPT set up. And and even and ChatGPT actually gave them instructions on what they could do in order to run this experiment, how they should set up their wet lab, what companies they should use, what they should be ordering. And so there was in general, a concern amongst policymakers that ChatGPT now opens a wider gap for these vulnerabilities than it had existed before. If before it was only limited to people with PhD level experience, knowing exactly what they need to do in order to work with DNA and actually make it something functional. Now, ChatGPT made that, that maybe you need to spend a year or two instead of having an entire PhD. In general, we see the trend of that just increasing. There's more accessibility in the space, better tools, better services. At some point, we're going to see people without any computational biology or any type of wet lab experience be able to run these experiments on their own very similar to what we saw in software i think where at some point it was really just academics then it moved to people that were highly trained in it and now there's boot camps where you spend 3 months and you learn how to code and so th- this executive order had two pages dedicated to bio and those two pages outlined the next year that the government's going to be focusing in this space By April, there will be a compliance framework that companies will be responsible for following. And then by October, every federal agency that's funding life sciences will be required to verify that the vendors they're purchasing DNA sequences or RNA sequences from are compliant with that framework. So it becomes a huge incentive for companies to make sure they're compliant so that they don't lose out on the potential federal dollars that are going into the space. And federal funding and biotechnology makes up a large portion of the market. So that's one, that's regulatory. The, the other that I would say is making our customer base bigger is just the number of companies getting started in, in the space. There's lots of startups that are increasing the demand for DNA and RNA, startups that are trying to make new fuels, new materials, new chemicals, or new foods. Every Every day there's there's a new startup trying to tackle some other piece of our existing industrial infrastructure and make it somehow cheaper or better. There are companies that are making synthetic palm oil without requiring the burning of palm trees in order to produce palm oil at scale. There there are companies that are trying to make plastics without having to use oil. There are companies making food like Impossible Foods where you don't need an animal in the process. And so there's just more and more of that. and, And that drives the demand for the products that we work with our customers on. And as that demand for those products goes up, there's more manufacturers that spin up, and so our customer base goes up in that in that regard. And so, have the vulnerabilities that AI has introduced
1: changed the way that you guys approach the problem? And also, maybe in general, the introduction of generative AI changed the way that you approach innovation.
2: I would say innovations is an interesting one. It's changing maybe the way that we do the work. So like we'll use ChatGPT for coding and we'll use things that are plugged into like GitHub and VS code for building our product. We'll use some of the data that generative AI is, is producing, but we don't directly use it as innovation directly into our product. There's no direct use case for AI in the actual product that surfaces to customers. There's a lot of stuff happening underneath. Uh, but we don't have a ChatGPT type plugin or widget within our overall product at the moment. But ChatGPT is getting better, so that may change. And on the way that we approach the problem, it's definitely changed the surface uh, of attack now that you can generate thousands of variants that have that may have the same function as your original. We now have to have ways to determine is the sequence that you're asking to be synthesized functionally similar not just by sequence similar to something we know is harmful or dangerous and so it's changed our approach from just looking at sequence similarity essentially just taking a sequence that we know is harmful looking at the sequence you're trying to order and match them together to say is there enough similarity here that we believe there might be some fun- there might be some functional similarity to now looking not just at the sequences themselves, but also looking at what do they make up? Are the structures that they make up similar? Are there patterns within these two sequences, not just the sequence similarities that make these potentially harmful and a cause for concern? So it's definitely changed the attack vector. And so we needed to accommodate for that and be able to adapt the way that we screen to make sure we're still catching these new variants that may have never been seen before.
0: As we're talking about AI, do you think that the general AI hype is kind of overstated in the, the, the biology space? By
2: hype, do you mean the impact that it can have or do you mean the 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 safety and security concerns?
0: For the impact?
2: I think there's definitely been already a ton of research and studies, at least preliminary, that have shown some of the things that are generated by large language models, especially for protein design, are novel and functional. So there there are definitely ways that generative AI is, is enabling us to search the space of all possible proteins in a much more reasonable way. In the past, we've had to do things computationally in a very synchronous fashion, aided a lot by humans in the loop. Protein space is really big. There are almost infinite ways that you can fold a protein. And being able to find the correct folding can solve problems all the way from curing entire diseases to making materials, to making fuels, to making foods in totally new ways. And at at least we don't know yet, there are no... There are no structures that we may that that it, that may exist where we can't replicate uh, that using a protein. And so, if that's the case, if everything can be done using biology, then there is a large space that we should be searching to figure out how to change everything that we make in industry to use biology instead, because it might be more efficient and it might be much more scalable than. What we currently do, if you need to chop down tons of forests and trees to make the wood that is used in every piece of furniture and every piece of of uh, product that you're buying, if instead you can just generate that in giant vats in a in a in a manufacturing facility at scale, that becomes a much better way of getting access to the same products and changing how we produce things, than having to continue the deforestation that we're doing today. And so it gives us a path and this is all to say it may may not be possible, but there's a vast search space that we may never have the chance to ever explore ourselves and large language models and AI in general is giving us the ability to at least pick out and sample parts of that search space that may be valuable and functional. And so I would say it's probably not overhyped. There, There's a lot of ways that we are getting a glimpse into what proteins can possibly do that we've just never had the scale to be able to do before.
1: And as now going back to ACLID, you know, building in such an innovative and new industry is obviously very tough. I mean, you could say like building an industry is tough. What are some of the most significant challenges you've faced while building this company? And what lessons have you taken from those challenges?
2: There's a lot of challenges. It, it's it's all hard. I would say, one, being outside the industry has definitely been challenging to start, but there's been a lot of people along the way that have helped. And spending more time in it, really just persevering through has has helped to get me over the initial hump of not knowing anything, not knowing how the industry works, not knowing a thing about biology to knowing a little bit about biology and at least having enough to be able to talk to other people that have much more experience in the space and not sound like an idiot. So that, that, that's been definitely a part of it. And then I would say otherwise it's all the pains of just growing a business and working on a startup. You're never ready to start one. There's always gaps in your knowledge. There's always things that you don't know. And I needed to lean a lot on our investors and our advisors to get me up to speed on, on the pieces that I don't know, experiment a bunch, make a lot of mistakes and then learn from them as much as I can to make a better business, to make a better product. So it, it's a lot of things that I've just never had experience in from marketing to sales to thinking about the financial and operations, raising money. Those are all things I've only seen other people do and I've been around but never have done myself. And there, there were definitely growing pains and in, in learning those. Maybe the common theme here is that no challenge is too big. So everything looks like it's Mount Everest before you before you started and before you actually uh, overcome it. And it, it's just been constantly getting comfortable with overcoming the next Everest that I have to, to deal with. Usually something that I just have no experience in or no no foresight in.
1: Our audience is primarily students, young professionals that may have startup ideas and they feel a similar way where there are just large gaps in knowledge and they're not sure how to start. How would you suggest going about finding those trusted advisors as you have?
2: I think I talked to a lot of people. I probably talked to a hundred or so people before I even knew that I was going to work in biotech, just trying to understand the space. I talked to anyone that would talk to me. I send emails to every professor that had an interesting paper out there. They created a domino effect for me. You talk to one person, you talk to them about what you're interested in, they introduce you to somebody else. And I just took every intro I could get. I I spoke to everyone that I could. And over time I built enough of a intuition about where I wanted to go and who I thought was gonna be valuable. It definitely changes over time as well. The people that are going to be most helpful to you when you're just starting out are probably not going to be the the same people that are going to be most helpful two years down the line. And that's okay. You pick and choose your advisors based on the stage that you're currently in, right? Your college professor may have been a great advisor when you were an undergrad, but then when you decide that you want to go to med school, maybe they're not any longer the, the best advisor at your stage. And so the same thing is true for starting a company. You grow with your advisors and you find new ones that can help get you to that next level. So first just start with talking to a bunch of pe- people building your network and maybe even sound a little bit stupid, I definitely did. I, I don't think I knew a thing about biology and at some point I, I picked it up along the way. And then as I grew my network, slowly it became a lot easier for me to find that next person I needed to level up to the next stage.
0: And kind of seeing where AccuLit has started to where it is now, what are some parts specifically about AccuLit do you think that separates <laughs> it from other companies like in the space?
2: In the overall biotech space? Yeah. I think we're one of the only, if not the only companies focusing on security and safety in biology. Oftentimes, you you have things happen reactionary in, in security and safety where some bad incident happens, and then a lot more people focus on security and think about it. If you look back to software, it wasn't until there were major hacks and tons of money lost that we started to institute big cybersecurity standards and every single enterprise started to comply with different certifications and standards like SOC 2 or ISO. I think biology is a little bit of a different risk vector. If something bad were to happen, it could shut down the entire industry, not just because of the gravity of, or the severity of the incident, but also because it loses public trust. We've already seen how rumors, you know, regardless of what the truth is, how rumors about COVID being potentially manufactured in a lab have changed the way policy looks at biology and and research. If that were to, to be proven true in any form or way, that could drastically change how people view this kind of research and whether we do it at all. And so I think there's a lot more reason to be cautious and to do things ahead of time, not to lose consumer trust, and to make sure that we're building things in the right way, so that when we get to the point that we can replace our our livestock with things made through in a petri dish through biology, there's already a lot of in built in trust to do that. We don't want to be in a place where the technology is there, but the consumer trust isn't. And I think that's a lot of what happened with other industries that are have dual use. And we don't want that to happen in biology because I think there's a lot of ways that this could change the world and, and be really meaningful in pushing us to the next uh, to the next stage. So I think security and safety become a little bit more important as cautionary measures rather than as reactionary ones. And we're really focused on making sure that infrastructure exists a little bit ahead of, of when we need it. There are a lot of things you can get access to today that maybe you shouldn't, but there's also not as much accessibility in in biology as there is in software, but that'll change in two to five years. And so we wanna make sure that as that grows, the industry and the technology continue to expand without really many restrictions and the infrastructure is being built underneath it so that when there is this risk vector, when the, the concerns are much greater, we already have a lot of the safeguards in place to prevent the most catastrophic or the the worst possible things that can lose trust.
1: I think that question perfectly sets up the next one because a lot of that you know alludes to what the world might look like in 10 years. But you know what does what does ACLA look like in 10 years?
2: We see research products as as being a critical tool for synthetic biology. And we want to make sure that access to them are not restricted in unreasonable ways. There are going to be times where access should be restricted, and we want to make those right calls. And so we believe that there needs to be some type of authentication or access layer that helps researchers and manufacturers alike to provide access and get access to all the research tools that they're going to be using as part of their product development whether that's the plasmids that they're going to be using within the organisms, they're modifying the viral vectors that they might be building in order to modify DNA DNA or RNA, the DNA sequences themselves that are going to be the building blocks of a lot of these products, and then ultimately the proteins that are made from these from this research and that are then being put into the end product. We think that there needs to be more infrastructure around how researchers verify that they are who they are, that validate their credentials and what they have done in the past, uh, as well as understanding what it is that they're working on currently. Right now, these tools don't really exist in in good ways in in synthetic biology or in biotechnology more broadly. And so we're building those to start to have that infrastructure so that very similar to what Cloudflare has done for cybersecurity, where if you're having a DDoS attack or you're you're having some SQL injection attack, there's infrastructure that can prevent malicious users from accessing your site in those critical moments where you can protect your information and protect your data, protect your customers. There's just no similar infrastructure for biology and that's what we're building.
0: As we're just talking about any kind of future plans for Ackwood, are there any projects right now that are being created that you're most excited about?
2: I think the biggest ones right now are the KYC elements of what we're doing. There's no identity platforms that have been built for biology outside of research. There are lots of open research identity platforms for biology, things like orc IDs, but in terms of identifying who the customer is in the same way that you have in finance, where me just sending $5,000 to someone, I have to go through a full KYC process versus me getting access to something that can cause the next pandemic requires no verification of my identity. That feels like a huge gap and we're super excited to be building in that space. And so we're starting to do a lot of the credentialing and a lot of the verification of researchers building that first identity platform so that we can scalably and effectively do KYC, make sure that Researchers are who they say they are, and that they have the right expertise, the right facilities, the right registrations and licenses to do the work that they're doing. And for context, ninety-nine point nine 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 percent are doing legitimate work; have the are, are doing all the right things. But you really are trying to catch the the needle in the haystack here, and that's the same thing for anti-money laundering. You know, ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of transactions are totally legitimate. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do KYC on everyone.
0: Well, Kevin, as we're coming to a close, for any aspiring students thinking about biosecurity or thinking of doing their own startups, any words of advice that you give to them as they're pursuing this journey?
2: And well, first reach out to me because I'd love to learn more people in the space doing things. It's a very small field. And so we'd be super excited to see people that are interested in it and want to grow the field. But two, I think the hardest thing is just starting and and doing it. And it's always scary. It always feels like a giant mountain to climb, but it's easier after you do it once. And then it's easier as you're doing it too. You start to realize it's not as hard as it looked initially. So just do it, just get started. And the hardest part is, is committing to it. It's not that different from working out, right? Once you're in the routine, it's much easier getting started, getting out of bed every morning is the hardest part.
1: Thank you, Kevin.
2: This has been the MSX Podcast.